Mark chapter 10. Um, we have just celebrated Easter. And, and I know you probably uh, looked at some scripture leading up to Palm Sunday and then Palm Sunday and then Easter. And it's like, okay, Herb, we've done Easter enough. But you need to know something. Easter is my favorite holiday. It is. It is my favorite holiday. Thanksgiving is my second favorite for obvious reasons, but Easter is my favorite. You know, we have a, we have a gal in our office who, do you know what her favorite holiday is? President's Day. And we're like, President's Day? She says, look, you don't have to have any special meals. You don't have to have any gifts. You don't have to get the house cleaned and relatives don't come and visit. Okay, well, Easter is mine. Easter is mine. But I want to look at some things leading up to, not just Easter, but leading up to that triumphal entry. In chapter 11, you have the triumphal entry in the Gospel of Mark. And that is in all four Gospels. I mean, because it's a big deal. It's important. Now, I, I know something can be mentioned just once in our, in, in, in our scriptures, and it's important. But the fact that it's, that it's uh, pretty much detailed out in all four Gospels you know, should, should ring a bell for us, should, should uh, make us wake up. But there's something else that is in all four Gospels, and it's uh, in Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 32, 3, and 4. Let me read those for us. And they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He said, the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death and he will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. That's in all four Gospels, pretty much word for word. Now, forgive me, we're going to have to look at some things fairly mechanically here for just a little bit this morning. Kind of like gathering pieces of the puzzle to see how it's all going to fit. You know what that's like. You get the new puzzle, you dump out the box, and the first thing you have to do is Flip everything over and, oh, okay, here's the edges and here's the blue ones. And so we need to do a little bit of that this morning and pulling together some of these uh, puzzle pieces. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we just read occurs right here. And then the triumphal entry. In the Gospel of John, it occurs after the triumphal entry. Now, there's some good explanations for that. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you've probably often heard, uh, called the synoptic gospels. Synoptic or uh, uh, synopsis or summary. They're pretty much walking through Jesus' life. And, it, and, it, and, and they're fairly chron- you know, chronological. John comes along actually quite a bit later. And John is a theological gospel. Okay, here's what Jesus taught about this. And now here's what Jesus taught about this. And here's what Jesus taught about this. And he kind of groups them that way. So in, in, in John, it occurs, in his writing, it occurs after uh, the triumphal entry. But for the others, it's right here. 
They're on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus tells them exactly what's going to happen. He's going to get handed over to the synagogue officials. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. Uh, They're going to kill me. And I'll rise again. Let me make another mechanical observation. There's uh, some things, other things that happen in all the synoptic gospels uh, leading up to this. Um, well, you'll see that uh, hey, uh, you'll see that my notes are are mixed up. You, you'll see that uh, there's a little incident with a couple of blind guys. Uh, somebody receives their sight. Blind Bartimaeus. They even they even record his name. At least Mark does. Matthew is a little bit of a head scratcher. We're still gathering pieces here. Matthew says there were two of them. And Mark only mentions one. Uh-oh. Well, there's clearly a mistake. There's clearly uh, some you know, conflict here, and, and it's not accurate. And, and if that's not accurate, what about the rest of it? You know, we certainly can't trust mistakes like that. I, I, I think there's, there's a very easy explanation. Uh, if I told you, that last week I was in Arizona. We traveled around Arizona, had some meetings with other camps and that sort of a thing. That would be a true statement. I, we were in Arizona. But I didn't tell you my wife was with me too. Does that make the first statement wrong? No. It's just a matter of emphasis. You know what? Matthew does that a lot. In the other Gospels, uh, remember uh, Legion, who Jesus casts a whole bunch of demons out of? Yeah, Matthew says there were two guys that Jesus cast demons out of. Hmm. It's all a matter of emphasis, I think. I was in Arizona last week. Oh, my wife was with me too. Both statements are true. Well, why does Mark and and Matthew and and uh, or, or Mark and Luke uh, mention just the the one? My guess, now this is Herb, this is not scripture, my guess is that he became part of the early church. He became friends with them. He, he became a member of that early group of believers. And, and uh, you know, so, so they mention him and they mention his name. I think it's probably the same uh, with Legion. Legion becomes a friend of the disciples there, and, and, uh, and, and, and so he gets emphasized. And, oh, yeah, remember when Legion had the demons cast out. Oh, remember when Bartimaeus received his sight. Yeah, there were others too, but Bartimaeus is the one with us here. I think that's what's going on. Luke also tells us that there's a strange story about a rich young ruler who comes right in this period here, who comes and says, Lord, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus asks him, what do the scriptures tell you? And he quotes a whole bunch of Old Testament stuff. And then he says, and I've done all of that uh, since I was a youth. And then you remember what Jesus tells him. Hmm, that's good. Tell you what, go sell everything you got and give it to the poor. And the Gospels record that he went away sad. There's more to that that we'll come back to. But here's what 
I really got my head scratching over. Jesus tells them exactly what's going to happen. We're going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to get handed over to the synagogue officials. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. They're going to whip me. They're going to flog me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to curse me. And they're going to kill me. And then I'll rise in three days. In fact, in your Bibles, take, take a look at those verses. Is there a little, a little heading just above them? In a lot of Bibles, there is. And it says probably something like, Jesus predicts his death again. You know what? I looked up all the agains. And in, in all the Gospels uh, earlier, he says almost exactly the same thing. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get handed over. Uh, I'm going to be killed and I'll raise in three days. Now look at that. Take, take a quick scan right now. Look through uh, Mark chapter 10 there. After Jesus says this, what is the disciples' response? Take a quick look there. He says this, and their reaction is, yeah, I didn't find it either. It's like, what? What? Wait a minute, Jesus just told you some pretty heavy stuff. And what's your reaction? Uh, In fact, look at right after those verses, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Oh, by the way, as we go into Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed. Jesus we want you to do something for us. Now, shh, don't tell anybody else. Anyone that has worked with kids knows exactly what's going on here. Okay, okay, Herb, I, I got a question, but, but don't tell anybody else, okay? Can I have... What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Verse 37, they replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Oh, foolish. Jesus said to them, yeah, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Look at verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Duh. I mean, wouldn't you? Wait, what? What? You guys are trying to ask some special favor? You know why I think that, again, this is Herb, this is not scripture. You know why I think they were particularly indignant? Because I was going to do that. They got beat to the punch. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles and lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get handed over to the synagogue officials. 
They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles and I'm going to get so beat up. And then they're going to kill me. But I'm going to rise in three days. And they completely miss it. They have no reaction to it. How is that possible that we miss stuff like that? I got three possible explanations. Okay? Number one, maybe so much is coming at them so fast, they just get a bit overwhelmed. Anybody ever feel that way? Oh, this happened. Oh, and that happened. Oh, and this is happened. Oh, and I got to answer that, and I got to do this. And you just get overwhelmed, and you get stuck, and, and you're not absorbing all that's going on. I think that's one real possibility. Again, in all the synoptic gospels just before this, this is all happening kind of at the same time. Uh, they have that incident with the little children. The, the little kids are coming to Jesus, and the disciples are doing what? No, 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 don't bother the master with these little ones. Go away. And Jesus says, oh, no, wait a minute. No, let them come. In fact, that's what my kingdom looks like. Wait, wait huh? Your, your kingdom looks like a bunch of little kids? What? That doesn't make sense. There's so much coming at them. The, the rich young ruler, you remember, and he went away sad And Jesus says what? It's all right here. Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man to enter heaven. And his disciples pull him aside and they say, "Uh, uh, Jesus, if this man can't get into heaven, nobody can. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-huh. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You want to be first, you got to be last. You want to find your life, you got to lose it. You want to be greatest, you got to be servant of all. So much crazy stuff coming on all at the same time. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe 2020 has had so much going on and so much that we've just gotten numb and missed it and can't respond anymore. That might be one thing that's happened. I, I think another possibility is that the disciples got focused on this incredible miracle. There's, there's a guy standing alongside the road, or two of them standing alongside the road. They're blind, and they hear the crowd coming, and they're hearing the name Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, son of David. And everyone around them is going, shh, shut up, don't bother, you know, this is... And, and they keep you know, yelling out, and finally Jesus says, hey... Bring him over here. All right, I guess you get to go. And they bring him to Jesus. And the guy receives his sight back. Has anyone here ever seen something like that? A guy born blind and Jesus touches him and now he can see? Oh my goodness. Wouldn't that be amazing? And you would tell all your friends about that. And, and, and yeah, I was there. I saw it myself. Miracles are amazing things, and they are fun to talk about. I, I can vouch for that personally. And you've heard, I think I've shared to this congregation in the past. In China, we have seen 
John Deere tractors that didn't exist in China. We've seen them appear and pull buses out of the mud and disappear. That's fun to talk about. I got the pictures. Uh, I've heard Chinese government officials speak English who don't know any English. In China, we heard heard an angel speak once. Blow you away. And so many others. They are fun to talk about. They are fun to share with people. You wouldn't believe what happened. But I don't want to miss the miracle worker behind the miracle. And I get so focused on this really cool thing. And they are are cool. I get focused on this. And this is what I want to tell everybody about. And maybe to the point of missing. And you know what? Greater than that, I know who caused those miracles. Maybe they got wrapped up in that. I don't know. We got to remember that miracles are secondary. Miracles are merely to point us to the Savior. That it's all about Jesus. Those are two possible explanations. But I think, I think, the third and the explanation that I think makes sense is what James and John stumbled into. Hey, Jesus. We, we just came into Jerusalem and the crowds are shouting your name. You came riding on a donkey just like in the Old Testament. And it's the Day of Atonement. So when you set up your kingdom, Jesus, could one of us sit on your right and one of us sit on your left? I think that's what's going on. I think the real explanation as to why they missed what Jesus just said is because they don't understand a kingdom, at least not God's kingdom. He's given them some hints. Hey, let these little children come because that's what my kingdom looks like. Otherwise, what what do they understand about a kingdom? Well, every kingdom they had ever seen, a kingdom has a king. Kingdom has important and powerful people. A kingdom has armies. A kingdom rules. A kingdom has preference. A kingdom has power and position. So Jesus, I really want to be part of that. That's the only kind of kingdom they'd ever seen. I think they misunderstood what this kingdom is like. With all the puzzle pieces out there, I think we can start putting together a picture. And I need to say this very gently. My fear... My fear is that the church is there again. My fear is that the picture that we're putting together looks an awful lot like this. Hey, Jesus, when your kingdom is here, I want to be in a position of power and authority. I think we're seeing it happen again. Just recently, the Barna Institute did a study. Barna is, 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 is a Christian um, uh, well, they're, they're, they're like the Gallup folks, but 
it's 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 uh, run by believers and they do some excellent research on the church and elsewhere they recently did a study of your neighbors of of your friends who do not attend church anywhere okay they did a study of those and they asked them what does evangelical mean the vast majority of them thought it was a political party Well, sure. I mean, sense, yeah, yeah. There's. Let me think now. There's Democrats. There's Republicans. There's Independents. There's uh, a Green Party. There's even a legalized marijuana party and evangelicals. Yeah, yeah. I, isn't that a box I can check on a ballot? Why on earth would they think that? I think maybe it's because we've given them some pretty good reason to. Again, let me say this carefully. If my friends know more about my political persuasion than my persuasion about Jesus, then I am wrong. If my friends know more about how I feel about masks and vaccines than I do about how I feel about Jesus, then you are wrong. It's got to be all about Jesus. And yet I see in our church culture so often we, we argue about how, no, no, we as believers, we as Christians, we have our rights. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. I work with a lot of believers in China. Shamanah started a ministry there years ago. And it, it is as worse right now for them as it has been since Chairman Mao. President Xi right now is president for life. He's head of the Communist Party. He's head of the military. And that has not happened since Chairman Mao. And my friends, my, my believing friends in China, it's tough. And you know what? The church is growing. They have no advantages. They have no protection from the government. And the church is growing. Do you know, and you, you will not hear this advertised widely, and that's a little bit by design, but did you, do you know that we started that one camp, oh, it's been 18, 19, 19 years ago now, we started that one camp, and today there are almost 3,000 Christian camps in China under some of the worst circumstances they've experienced in the last 40 years. It seems to happen that way, doesn't it? See, what my government is doing has nothing to do with my faith in Jesus and my trust in Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I want a government that honors God. I want a government that, that governs with Christian principles. And I tell you what, I have written more letters and made more phone calls in the last five years politically than I have ever the rest of my life combined before that. Do you know that you, you can call, there's an 800 number, Google it. You can call the White House anytime, day or night, and leave a message. And I have left so many messages. <laughs> I'm sure they're like, oh, that Minnesota guy again. Oh, again. Another one. 
I've written so many, you know, from our county officials right on up. Uh, I want a government that honors God, but I don't expect it. It's nice when it happens. You know, in fact, my, my friends in, in our Europe, European countries that we do camps in, uh, my friends are like, wait, what? Your, your, your camp and your churches don't pay property taxes? What? Are you serious? How sweet is that? And yet it's a privilege that we've claimed as a right. Whoa, we've got to... Stand up for our rights. Uh, I, I, I commend to you a great little book that I just love. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. Uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful book. Uh, uh, the poet Blake, about 100 years before Lewis, wrote a poem called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, that really there's n- there is no heaven, there is no hell, it's all the same thing, the marriage of heaven and hell. And C.S. Lewis comes along 100 years later and writes a book called The Great Divorce. That yes, there is a huge difference between heaven and hell. And, and in, in the book, there's a whole bunch of uh, ghosts and spirits in, uh, in hell that take a bus ride up to heaven. Okay, that alone ought to inspire you to read the book. They take a bus ride up to heaven, and when they get, heaven is just dull and dreary and always rainy, and nobody can stand each other, so they keep moving away from each other, and, and they get to heaven, and it's bright, and it's beautiful, and, and as they're looking out the windows of the bus, the grass is a green that they've never seen before. So they take their shoes off and they run out of the bus because they're going to just run barefoot in this grass. And the grass in heaven is more solid and more real than they are. And it just shreds their feet. And, 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 and they limp and, and they try to get to this little brook, this little uh, creek of water, and they try to put their, their torn up feet in the water and they can't because the water in heaven is more real and solid than they are. Heaven, C.S. Lewis says, is more solid than anything we know here. But the ghosts have different conversations with angels there. And one of the ghosts says, but... But I was a good man, and I've got my rights. And the angel says, oh, no, 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 don't worry about that. It's not that bad here. You don't get your rights. Because by right, what do we deserve? We deserve a penalty on a cross that my Savior paid. That's what we deserve. So I always get a little skeptical. When people claim their rights. No, it's not about me. It's not about my rights. I want a government that honors God. I want a government that makes it possible for people to live by Christian principles. But more than anything else, I want Jesus above everything else. Let me... uh, Let me give you three suggestions as a result of this because so that that we, so so that I don't miss it like the disciples did. You know, and I know it's, it's so easy to pick on the disciples. We forget that there's this much of the book they didn't have. 
You know, so it's so easy to pick on them. But I don't want to miss it like they did, so let me give you three things to think about. Number one, keep the gospel the main thing. Everything I do has to be filtered through the gospel. Every interaction I have, I need to see as an opportunity to show people what the kingdom of God looks like. It's got to all be about the gospel. And, 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 and please, please don't, don't mistake that for meaning that, well, every time I see someone, I need to share the gospel and beat them over the head with my big black Bible. No, no, it's just that Jesus needs to be part of my everyday conversation. I've got two community groups full of pagans that I get to work with, and I love it. I just love it, and I just love being... Uh, part of these uh, committees and just bringing Jesus into them and saying things like, well, I'm not sure I can, I'm not ready to make that decision. Can we wait until next month? And that'll give me more time to pray about it. And then you just go on with your conversation. And it's so fun to, uh, what did, did, did he say pray? Did he, did he say pray? What's that got to do with anything? And then lo and behold, later on, when life is falling apart, they will call you. And I had a gal call me and say, hey, this terrible thing is going on. Would you do that pray thing you do? And bring Jesus into everything that I, can, that I get to interact with. So keep the gospel the main thing. <clears throat> Number two, keep perspective. Keep perspective. Um. This might be offensive again. (laughs) I'm just stepping on toes this morning. If Jesus tarries long enough, if, if the return of Christ is withheld long enough, do you realize the United States won't be here? No kingdom on earth ever has. No kingdom on earth lasts forever. The only kingdom that lasts forever is the kingdom of God. So number three, related to that, governments come and go, but let's start living in that kingdom. I praise God I get to live where I live. I praise God I'm in this country. I, uh, I praise God for the amazing uh, benefits that we have. But this kingdom isn't going to last forever. But the kingdom of God will and in fact is here right now. And that's the kingdom that I want to live in. That's the kingdom that I want to tell other people about and to invite them in. I want to keep the gospel the main thing. I want to keep my perspective that yeah... Maybe things are a little bit hard, but they've always been hard. And actually, they're not too bad right now. And I want to start living in that kingdom right now so that when Jesus says things like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get handed over to the officials. I'm going to get the snot beat out of me. And they are going to kill me. 
but, but I'm going to rise again. Because this kingdom can't be stopped. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you can take some random words that are shared imperfectly and that you can, with your Holy Spirit, rearrange those so that they make sense to us and that they, they drive deep into our hearts. Father, I am sorry. I, I apologize for all the times that I've lost track of your kingdom. Father, help me. Help me in the confusion of this kingdom that I don't understand. But help me to focus simply on that you are the king. And help me to live in that kingdom now and to introduce it to everyone that I possibly can with every word, with every action. In your name, amen.